Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Behind the Human. My name is Mark Champagne, and I'm your host, and it's my job to unpack the stories and mental fitness practices of people living at the top of their game personally and professionally. Today, we have a real treat, an awesome human and a dear friend, Kelly Moore, the co-founder and CEO of Soulfire Productions, a premier podcast network for thought leaders, free thinkers, and visionaries. She has hosted two top-rated podcasts, The Kelly Show and OK Babe, there to come, just putting it out there, and is deeply passionate about helping people see themselves more clearly. Kelly believes in setting ourselves free from our expectations, people-pleasing, and the stories that hold us hostage in our own lives. So well said. She's also an Emmy award-winning former sports TV host with an eye for truth and an ear for bullshit. She loves creating life-changing experiences for audiences and holding space for creatives to seek deeper within and become the most genuine expression of themselves. Sounds pretty damn awesome to me, Kelly. Welcome to the show. <laughs> it better. I fucking wrote it, Mark. <laughs> exactly. You noticed that? I just ch- tweaked a few words so I was in yeah. my tense. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we get into all of the awesome that you're working on and everything going on in your world, I'd love to just know, as of today, who are you? Uh, as of today, I am a mom. I really am just identifying with mom vibes right now. In every aspect of my life, I have a three and a half month old little girl and I feel like I'm in this rebirth phase. So I feel like I'm new mom of a company, a new mom of a brand new podcast. And yeah, it's um, it's exciting. It's a role that I've dreamed of being in for so long. I kind of have always had mom vibes. I love taking care of everybody and making sure they're good. And now I'm a, a real mom and it it feels very aligned and very on purpose. And I keep telling people I've never felt more alive in my whole life. Oh, I love it. Mm-hmm. I love it. I'm curious, Kelly, like just in, in preparing for this conversation, the the word that kept coming up or the theme, I guess, or topic um, centered around reinvention. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, this doesn't necessarily feel like a reinvention at this this part of your life. It, it definitely feels more of like just, a, a, like you said, a mom or like birthing in a way, in all senses of the word. Like how do you, how do you for yourself internally kind of describe the place that you're in now versus some of those reinventions that you've gone through that we'll, we'll cover off in a bit? Yeah. You know, this feels like a less painful reinvention. (laughs) It feels like a really um, full, expansive, um, aligned, just keeps coming up for me version of what my reinvention process has looked like. In the past, it has looked like really needing to painfully let go of things that I was so tied to, my identity, my career, my relationships, um, and truly burn it to the ground so that I could start fresh. Because I was in so many toxic environments from my work life as a TV host to my relationships with my boyfriends, to friendships, to the relationship I had with my body and myself, with my mom everything was toxic. And I was also dealing with chronic illness for 15 years. Mm. So it felt very painful and very uncomfortable to continuously, okay, burn this to the ground. Okay, start fresh, burn this to the ground, start fresh. And 
it was hard because I was just learning about all of this. I had just stepped into personal development. I didn't know what any of this was. And I was, for the first time in my life, being honest with myself, radically honest and having honest conversations and asking better questions. That's my whole thing. And I know you're amazing at that. (laughs) And that is my language. Yeah, part of your deal. Um, That's why I loved reading your book, Personal (laughs) Socrates, so much. Um, It's like I had never been honest with myself. I was just living lie after lie after lie. And I was justifying all of those choices and actions because I got attention and because I was validated and I made a lot of money and all of these things. And then all of a sudden, it just came crashing down. And I was like, I can't live like this. Mm -hmm. And so that was what those versions felt like. And this version feels like I'm really stepping into owning my life and owning my power. And so yes, some things do get to burn. Some things do need to go. But I didn't really have much toxicity in my life before I had a baby. It was more about old stories and patterns that I continued to let pop up that were still running my beliefs and my actions and my choices. That the second I gave birth to Roe, it just felt like that's done. Like we are no longer this version of us anymore. Mm. We are in the most fully expressed, bold, brave version. The woman who is not afraid to be judged, the woman who is not afraid to really own her choices and be be loud and big and bright and okay with how the pieces fall, you know? And so that's what this version is. It's, it's the biggest, brightest version of me. And owning all of the parts of me that I've been scared to own in the past. Sounds like a re just, you know, to generalize or summary in summary, it sounds like a reinvention on your own terms mm-hmm. versus some of the others are like, you're kind of, it's like you hit the wall and things start to explode and you're, you're forced into this reflection of, well, can't continue down this road or I guess I can, but it's not looking very great. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's to your to your to use your language, kind of like burn it to the ground. Yeah. Right. What just to provide a bit of context and in and you know, on my side too, like I said before we hit record, I mean, we met um during the the reinvention years of where Soulfire uh sparked and, and and came into your life, but I don't know that much of which is a huge part of your life. I, I didn't I, I didn't realize it's like 15 years, right? You were mm-hmm in sport broadcasting. So why don't you just paint a little bit of a picture of of that version and then I think it'll just help clarify first to, to show people what's possible as you go through these reinventions um, and, and we'll get to kind of present day. Yeah, you know, it's so funny because most people in my life now don't know the old version of me. Um, and when I explain how I was, they're like, what? <laughs> how is that possible? And... I I have to give myself credit. I've worked really hard to become the woman I am today. And it has been very uncomfortable and a winding road. And, you know, healing is not linear. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was a completely different person. I, you know, I played sports growing up. I was a top five volleyball player in the country. I was the captain of the USC women's volleyball team. And I always knew that I wanted to work in television and and I originally thought in the, in news, I didn't think I would work in sports. Um, but when I was surrounded by, you know, all of these incredible athletes at USC, world-renowned names, um, and then had access to 
you know, similar people being in LA with the Lakers and the Dodgers and the Galaxy. I just sort of knew that that was a natural progression for me. Because I was on TV so much as an athlete, I made inroads with ESPN and Fox Sports from the age of 17 on. And I would talk to the producers and go in the trucks before matches and, you know, just introduce myself and say, I want to do this one day. And I did a really good job of making relationships as I still do. It's just something that's very natural for me and putting myself in the position to succeed. And so when I graduated from USC, I was immediately hired by both ESPN and Fox Sports. Um, And I started traveling the country. I was back and forth, cross-country, every week on flights covering um, women's volleyball. And then I started covering college basketball and then football. And then I moved to New York for a year and covered high school sports, learning how to read a teleprompter and how to host a show. And I had a cheerleading show. And I did sideline for wrestling with like these little (laughs) 90-pound... freshman wrestlers that they had to put on boxes because I'm 6'1 and it was hysterical mark let me tell you that was a well, career I saw a highlight post that you, that you shared it was that wasn't it wasn't wrestling i can't remember which one no it was, it was the dodger, dodger. <laughs> yeah yeah so, someone reshared that too right without oh everyone has reshared yeah. that okay got you yeah. unfortunately hilarious. no one tagged me though so i never benefited from it of course right <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Toxic masculinity. If anyone has seen that post, that's what it went viral for. Um, But yeah, so I just continued to work, work my way up, work my way up. And I was doing a great job. And then I ended up getting the Lakers job. So I was hosting the pre and post game shows and doing sideline. And then we got the Dodgers at my channel. So I started doing the same thing for the Dodgers. I was doing the LA Galaxy soccer team, the Sparks WNBA team. Um, And really at 25 years old, was making a crap ton of money and had a lot of validation and where wherever I went in LA, people knew who I was. And I felt very special and very important. And it fed my ego like no other. And that's what my whole life was. Being the hot yeah. chick on TV who had men constantly telling her how hot she was. And I didn't understand my own value, my worth. I was just so obsessed with how I looked and needing that stamp of approval from everyone. And so I did that for about 15 years. And that whole time also had chronic illness. So my body okay. was completely shutting down. So I, I would go to Dodger Stadium and you know be on live TV in front of hundreds of thousands of people, entertaining fans from the field, talking to players there for 11 hours day in, day out. And then I would go home and I would want to die because I couldn't see straight. My body hurt so bad. And I was just miserable. And it wasn't until the end there, um, I had dealt with some sexual assault Um, issues with a colleague and friend. And I finally, it just hit me. I was like, you cannot live like this anymore. You have value, you have worth, and you don't need to allow yourself to be treated this way. And you Mm. don't need to be in a toxic environment with a bunch of men who you're just being used and you're not even standing up for yourself. And so that was the end of my career. How, what was the first step then? Like, cause there's, there's one thing you know, to come to that realization, which I imagine was hard because it's, I mean, like I get it, like when you're validated like that and for all intents and purposes, like you're you're living the dream or mm-hmm. the, definitely the dream of others for sure, right? Like, so for you, you know, when some of these insights or these little things were coming up kind of in the whispers and you started to pay attention or see them, what was the first step to 
like a departure or I guess you can say a reinvention. Yeah. I mean, the thing that opened my eyes to my situation was when Harvey Weinstein's stuff started coming out. I remember exactly where I was. I was in my apartment in Santa Monica and I was rolling out, like rolling my body out, laying on the ground. And all of a sudden it was all over the news. It was all these women coming forward about their experiences. And I'm watching this and I, it was the first time I'd ever heard women talk about this before in a way that this is not okay and we don't have to stand for it. I had heard about these things. I mean, it runs rampant. The amount of women that are raped and assaulted in sports television is so absurd, you would not believe it. But we're taught that it's normal. Like, you just let the players do this to you and the coaches and all these people because it's okay. Like, this is how we live. And a million girls would want your job, so don't piss anyone off. Mm -hmm. And I remember watching that And I called my mom who had known this had happened to me. And I said, Mom, I didn't know that this wasn't okay. And she said, of course, it's not okay. I said, but I didn't know I could say something or speak up for myself. And she's like, yeah, you can. You just have to know what's going to happen. And after that, my whole life was different. Because I needed the example of what was possible. And yes, a lot of these women were blacklisted and kicked out of Hollywood and couldn't do you know their jobs and careers the way they did before. But they were standing up for themselves. And I, I saw examples of women actually like holding their boundaries and believing that they were worth more than this crap that they had been put through. And that changed my entire perspective. And I, I just thought... I can be that woman. I can stand up for myself and say, that's not okay. Because I don't want other girls to ever go through this. And if I don't speak up, then what happens to the girl that I'm mentoring at Dodger Stadium or at Lakers or at the channel and something happens to her? What if I don't say something and then she thinks that's okay? That's my fault. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I knew that I had to shift the paradigm and the, the narrative around the way women are treated in any space. It doesn't matter where you work or live or whatever. And so that's really where it came is I was willing to give up everything because I knew I would be done. Yeah. I was willing to give up everything to live in integrity and stand up for myself. Hello, friends. Given you're here, I'm making the assumption that you're motivated to be mentally fit. So with that in mind, I want to let you know about the Better Questions newsletter, which publishes once or twice a month, providing all of us the opportunity to slow down, think, and ask better questions. As you know, quality questions are my thing, and this is an opportunity to share the prompts I've studied and curated to help our minds be healthier, clearer, more intentional, and expand our mental capacity. You can sign up over at BehindTheHuman.com slash newsletter, which will also give you a preview of my debut book, Personal Socrates. That's BehindTheHuman.com slash newsletter. Now back to the show. Was there anything in that time, any questions, any practices of, of those days that helped you come to terms with the fact that you, like you knew, like things were forever going to change uh, it seemed really clear that the that the why behind it was was super strong, but it doesn't make it any easier to then like live that right mm-hmm. or go through it. What helped in, in, during those times for you? I mean, I cried a lot, 
And I think that that's kind of what my body needed. I needed to mourn for every part of myself that thought it was okay for me to be treated that way. And not even just the assault, but just the way I was treated by my male bosses in general. Um, There was so much... I would go to work one day and they'd be like, you're dressed too slutty. Why is your dress so short? And then I go to work the next day and they're like, you're not dressed slutty enough. Your skirt needs to be shorter. And it's constantly, your ears are too big. Your hair shouldn't look like that. You have too much makeup. You're not wearing enough makeup. You need to act more like this. You need to act more like that. It's like exhausting. Yeah. (laughs) Nothing you ever do is right. And so I think that I had to mourn for all those versions of myself that just was the I was the good girl. I followed the rules. I did what I was told because I wanted to fit in. I wanted people to like me and I wanted to be successful. I had my eye on the fucking prize. And yeah. I'm like, this is what you do. And this is what everyone says you have to do to climb the ladder. And I did not sleep my way to the top by any means. I worked my fucking ass off. Yeah. And so I think I had to let go of this constant need for that and what my identity was. Because I had gone from... Kelly, the volleyball player, to Kelly, the sports TV host. And it just kept continuing. I was always tied to this thing that I did and Mm -hmm. how I looked doing it. And I had to be okay with not knowing who I was going to be next. And that required a lot of crying. (laughs) Yeah, fair. I get that. Yeah. It makes me think of a well mutual friend and and someone part of uh, Soulfire as well, like Nikki Sharp, uh, in her chapter in my book, right? Is is I am, and for the longest time for her, it was like I am, you know, an international model, and it's like to let that identity go, and then, yeah, just to, to just to keep it like I am dot 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 until you find, okay, this is what feels right. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's. Uh, that's some serious courage and, and bravery and, and for all the right reasons. So, I mean, serious virtual loves being sent your way. Thank you. I mean, I learned a lot about all of this when I wrote a book when I was 25. Well, I wrote it over years. I finished it when I was 25 because it was kind of therapy. Um, and it's called The Transition. And it's Every Athlete's Guide to Life After Sports. Because when I had to stop playing volleyball because I had chronic illness and I couldn't walk, I was basically bedridden at 19 years old. I didn't know who I was anymore. There was this huge identity loss. And so the book is my story, but I also, similar to you, interviewed a bunch of amazing athletes, former athletes, Olympians, NFL pros, all the things. And they told their stories of what it was like for them when they were done playing sports. And Mm -hmm. I remember this specific conversation. I don't know if you know of who he is, but Marcellus Wiley, he uh, played in the NFL forever, but I think he went to Columbia, if I'm not mistaken. Brilliant. Um, But he comes from Compton and he's such an outlier for all of these guys because I went to school with a bunch of guys who were from Compton. I was in you at USC, which is basically 10 minutes from Compton. And so I've seen this over and over again. And most of these guys are just trying to escape gangs and drugs and violence and just trying to get out of the hood. And he was doing the same thing. But what made him different is that from a very young age, his grandmother had the wherewithal to ask him what he liked to do. 
and encourage him to do things that made him happy, that made him feel good, that weren't just tied to sports. So although Marcellus ended up excelling and being one of the best NFL athletes, he also knew all of the different things he loved. He loved writing. He loved speaking. He liked riding his bike, all of these other things. So that when he came out of the league, he was very clear on who he was and what made Mm. him happy. It wasn't all about football. And he is one of the only athletes I've ever talked to who has done that, who had that resource from a young age. And so that's what I had to do when I was done playing, when I was done working in sports, was who am I? Like, what do I like to do? If I have the whole day and I'm not at Dodger Stadium or, uh, you know, uh, Staples Center... I have an entire day to do things. What is it that I choose to do? And I got to rewrite my story and ask myself those questions. And I think that's the missing piece for most people because we have this identity tied to things that we do or are good at or successful, but we never ask ourselves, but what actually makes me happy? What Mm -hmm. do I want to fill my life with? Because we never have the space and we're never taught to ask ourselves those questions. So true. So true. And then that, that, you know, it's a direct link to a refined version or an updated version of like what success means to us, Mm -hmm. which I'd love to know like you today, like what, how do you see success in, in, in your life and what, what makes you happy? Yeah. Wow. (laughs) I haven't talked about this since I had a baby. (laughs) I just want to be the best example for my daughter. And the reason that I'm, being so loud online right now, louder than I've ever been and just more clear on my purpose and my mission is because I want my daughter to see what is possible when you go all in on yourself. When you are so bold and so brave for yourself. Because I wasn't taught that. I didn't Mm -hmm. have that example from my mom. My mom did my best, but did her best, but she didn't have the resources that I do now. My mom lived in a state of fight or flight and survival from a very young age with an abusive father and was protecting her own mom at the age of nine. Mm -hmm. And so she never got out of that. And she died angry and resentful. And we never even got a good goodbye. And I think that every I know that everything I do now is because I want to be such a shining example for my daughter that she can truly be whoever she wants that she is free that she is so free to explore and be curious and be bright and not need to worry about judgments and all of those things that is it's everything to me and nothing else matters if I if my company was gone and I lost my house, like I don't like to put these things in the universe. (laughs) (laughs) But at the same point, like all I care about is her and my husband and our dogs and the life that we have. But if I have them and I am so true to myself, then I have everything because I will Uh always be able to reinvent no matter what. I will always have my own back and I will always protect my family so that they can do the same. And so success to me, yes, I want financial freedom and I want Soulfire to take off. And I want, I do have a top ranked podcast, so I can check that off the list. Like I want successful friendships and relationships and all of those things. And my why is my daughter in every single thing I do. Yeah. Well, I know 
I know it's the first time you've talked about it, but I, I did make a comment before we hit record it about how lucky baby Roe is to have you as both parents. And I said that and I say that from feeling exactly what you just described because you can feel it in what you're posting and how you're speaking about um, her and just, but just you in, in general in the journey. And it's, it really is a beautiful thing to to witness. And as a parent myself, it has served as a really nice, you know, just check in to see, okay, like, am I, am I, am I doing the best I can as well as a dad? And, um, you know, setting up uh, an environment for, for, for my boys to, to thrive as well. So mm. you can feel it, Kelly, but you <laughs> really can. And it's, uh, it's a real, it, it's a real honor because it's not, you know, I know you're doing it for Roe, but the ripple effect, obviously, of your reach and how many people are affected by you being you and, you know, going through this reinvention on your terms is is exponential. Mm. You make me cry again. I just realized that. Um, so but when I was pregnant, I was doing somatic therapy with my therapist and she was walking me through this exercise with, and we were doing like inner child work. And I don't remember exactly what it was, but she asked me what I saw. And I said, I saw my little girl like in my chest. And then I saw her walk out of my chest and stand in front of me. And all I could see and hear were the words, we are free, we are free, we are free. Wow. And it was so moving. I'm going to get that tattooed I mean, on I my body. <laughs> yeah. It was such a, it was such a, um, moving experience for me because I had that, but I didn't fully grasp what it meant until, I don't know, I think it was a month ago, I was with Ro, it was like 2am and I was feeding her and rocking her in her nursery. It was just her and I, and it was completely quiet. And all of a sudden I just saw my grandmother and then my mom and then me and then Ro. And we were just kind of stacked on top of each other. And then all I saw was, we are free, we are free, we are free, we are free. And I just realized that everything I've done in my life for the last five years has not only been to free me, but has been to free my grandmother and my mom and to make sure that my daughter feels free in her life. And everything I do is to allow women to have that same experience. I want every woman to have that feeling of freedom in her life because I know what it feels like to not be free. And so I'm not just doing this work because of me or my daughter. I'm doing it for the grand scale, the bigger picture of women everywhere. Like I want every one of us to be able to say we are free. Yeah. Wow. You're making Bart. me cry. I mean, <laughs> my God, we're going to take a quick intermission here on Behind the Human and just reset. I mean, it's beautiful. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you. For, for just going there. I mean, I can't help but think like, it's so interesting, like the contrast of like you started out in front of the world, like broadcasting essentially for, you, you know, and like you went through all of this stuff and it's like you're coming almost back to that, but in a completely different light, like in your light, obviously. And, and like, obviously anyone listening can, can feel it like aligned and from a place of love and a place of been gone through all of the work, but it's like you're almost coming full circle to like broadcasting on your own terms in a, in a way through these podcasts, not to mention 
you know, your show, but also, again, Soulfire and like just knowing a lot of the incredible humans and hosts of that uh, that are within the within within Soulfire, the network, like that's pretty powerful stuff. Like, mm. have you have you connected those dots? Is that like, have you do you think about that at all? I have, but not to that degree. So thank you for like reflecting that. I really appreciate it. Um, I mean, I started I started Soulfire and my show because it made sense. Um, I had such a extensive background in production. I know what sounds good, what feels good, what people want. I understand what that experience gets to be like. Um, and I also knew that I wanted to create a platform for myself and for other women to be creators on their own terms. I cannot tell you how many times I came up with television ideas and show ideas and I was turned down every time. And they were really good fucking ideas, by the way. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But because I was the young girl who didn't really have a place, no one really listened to me. And... So I I knew that, okay, if I've created a production company, I have my own show, then I can do this the way I want to. But I think that I was still extremely wounded and I still had a lot of work to do back then. And I, I mean, I still do now, obviously. We're always a work in progress. But I was a very young, immature, still very needy for validation and attention in a new way. Um, and so I think what's happened now is... Before I didn't, I I was so scared that people would say, who the fuck does this girl think she is? Right? Like I really wanted people to like me and I wanted to make sure I said all the right things and followed the spiritual lingo and, you know, fit in with all the podcasters that were doing so great. And now I'm like, wow, I really hope that people see my shit and they're like, who the fuck does she think she is? And I really owned that because if people are saying, wow, who do you think you are that you can speak like that or teach that way or charge that or whatever it is, then you're probably doing something right. I am here to challenge people. I am not here to be a doormat. I am not here to just pat you on the back and tell you how amazing you are when you're clearly making choices out of alignment with yourself and out of integrity, causing you to have a life that you fucking hate. I'm yeah. here to challenge you and to be a mirror and a reflection of what is possible. I want to be a true living, breathing example of where people can go and how they can expand. And when you burn your shit down or you say yes to yourself in a new way, this is what gets to happen. And it feels like it's coming from such a powerful place and not a wounded place. And yeah. I think that is the massive difference. Where does the naked mama fit into this? I feel like it's right there. <laughs> like yeah. how did how did that I feel like I know the answer to this, but I mean I have to hear it from from you. But like how where did that even start? Because you've had two two successful shows. You uh and then here we are with a third that I mean, of course it's gonna be successful. It already is. I mean, <laughs> I, I could already tell with just the the people sharing and even my own excitement level. I'm like, yes, like this is gonna be great. <laughs> Thank so you. how yeah, like l- let's talk a little bit about this show. So it's not that different in content from what I've created before. 
Um, it's very similar to the Kelly show that I ended right before, right when we started IVF. I ended that show because I knew that I didn't have the capacity to do that and run my company and go through IVF and inject myself every day and then be pregnant. I just was like, I can't energetically handle this. And Mm -hmm. so I ended that, um, And also because I knew that that version of me had to die so that I could become a mother. And so this show is very similar in content. I've been talking about reinvention reinvention and radical honesty and asking better questions. And I've been calling people out on their bullshit for five years. It's just what I do now. Mm. It is (laughs) how I am. I cannot stand when we lie to ourselves. I cannot stand when we justify treating ourselves poorly and living um, lives for other people and shooting and people pleasing. Like I just cannot stand for it. So I've been doing this, but it comes from a place of one through the lens of being a mother so my and a mother of a daughter so my my mama bear is very strong now so <laughs> that it is you know before it was like i want more for women now i'm like i motherfucking want everything for women yeah because yeah. i want to be that big sister that mom that says this is what's possible for you and i I am speaking in a way that calls people forward and calls people up into their truest selves. Whereas before, I think I was still playing small and I was still, I'm trying to relate and I'm trying to like be on your level. And now I'm like, no, let's fucking go. Like I've gone, you come with me. Let's take everybody with us. And I'm just very clear on taking action and moving and what it looks like. And everything feeds into my programs. Everything is strategic so that this is not just a conversation. This is just the beginning of you taking action for your life. And you can come to a masterclass. You can work with me one-on-one. You can be a part of a group program. You can come work with us at Soulfire. Whatever that is, this is just the beginning aspect of what is possible when you say yes to yourself. Yeah. Which, I mean... It, it it all comes like it's all pot like you can call other people out on their bullshit because you're calling yourself out on your own bullshit and you've gone yes. through and you continue to go through it like i think that's that's what makes this work right like it's it you can feel the authenticity of really anything that you're putting out there it's not this is not like a clickbait thing this isn't like this is this is what sells right now like this is the real stuff and let's let's get real honest with ourselves yeah um, which I'm curious, like this, this kind of dovetails into, you know, where I wanted to wrap with, with just, especially as a brand new mom, there was you, I'm assuming you probably had like a mental and physical plan, mental fitness and physical fitness plan, uh, post birth. And then <laughs> Ro came along and I'm sure she, you know, uh, had a different plan, but knowing you, I'm sure there's still some stuff going on. What I'd love to know is, like, what are the non-negotiables for you to, for your mind, first and foremost, to continue to, you know, be able to see those moments of like, okay, this is what I'm hearing in the whispers. This is where I need to call myself out or help others and so forth. Because it's really hard to do that when our mind is full, yeah. right? And full of nonsense. So what, yeah, what's, what's been working for you realistically, given there's a lot going on, um, just keeping, you know, a, a mini human alive? Yeah. Well, I want to back up a little just to give some context. So um, I was in labor for six weeks and we found out 
the day that I had her that um, I had scar tissue on my cervix, which was keeping me from fully dilating. I Mm. had a LEAP procedure for HPV at 25, which left a bunch of scar tissue. And so I was in and out of labor for six weeks and no one could figure it out. I had a planned unmedicated home birth. And my midwife after six weeks was like, look, I don't feel confident anymore. I have no idea what's going on with your body. You need to go to the hospital. So we end up at the hospital. I end up medicated on everything under the sun with a back labor. And it took three different midwives to find the scar tissue, clear it, finally get me into labor. Um, So there's that part. So my body was so physically exhausted. Um, And then I didn't sleep for three days leading up to her birth. And so there's that part. And then right after she was born, I actually lost... um, I don't know if it was three or four, I think was it four liters of blood and and whatever. And so I needed a three a bag transfusion. I went into emergency surgery and I almost died. And I had a near death experience in that. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. And so it was okay. freaking crazy. And so um my physical healing has been really difficult. I have a prolapse. So my bladder is coming out of my vagina and they had to rip my placenta out of my body, um, which is what part, what was part of causing the, all the blood loss. Mm. Um, and obviously was on a ton of medications, three rounds of antibiotics in a week. So I was not prepared for this. <laughs> Most people are probably not prepared for that. Um, and I'm okay. And you know, all the things, yeah, but yeah. yeah. Given all of that, my attention to my health and my self-care and really tuning into what I need had to be at the optimal level and continues to. I can't ignore my body. Mm-hmm. And I got really good at that for so long, having chronic illness, ignoring the red flags, ignoring asking myself what I need and taking care of myself on a very deep level. And now it really forced me to say every single day, what do I need? Do I ask Connor to take row for an hour or two in the morning so I can take a nap after being up with her at night to make sure that I get rest? Do I need to take a bath so that I can soak all the things internally and externally and yeah, just yeah. like have a little downtime? Um, you know, I'm a very sensitive, sensitive, um, introverted, emotional person. So now I have this other little person who is relying on me. And that's a lot to carry when you tend to be an empath. And so how do I get alone time? And how do I really tune into, okay, I'm a little overstimulated right now, or I'm having to regulate my emotions for her. That's extra work. And so to your question, very long answer. No, the context is very helpful. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm more dedicated to taking care of myself than I ever been. And it kind of goes into what I said before is I want to be an amazing example for my daughter. But I hired a trainer. I have a pelvic floor therapist. I have been committed to craniosacral therapy, chiropractic, acupuncture. And it's probably a little overboard. But at the same point, I just know how important it is to address these issues because I want to heal and have another baby. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so yeah. I know that if I don't take care of myself now, 
this is going to be years and years and years of trauma that my body is carrying. And I think this is part of a larger conversation that we don't need to get into, but this is what's wrong with maternal health care. And this is why so many women struggle postpartum is because they don't have the support, whether it's therapy or someone coming into the house and helping or a nanny like we have or a supportive partner in the way that my husband is. Like we're just like left to figure it out. And I keep thinking, I don't know how everyone fucking does this because I have the support and luckily the financial means and the privilege to be able to say, okay, I'm going to cranial sacral today. I'm going to pelvic floor therapy. I have someone to watch my child. We're all safe and well taken care of. And I still struggle with all of that. Yeah. And so I don't, I just don't skip out on me because I know that if I'm not good, my husband is not good. My daughter is not good. My company falls apart and it's just not worth it. So it is the utmost priority for me to breath work, listen to meditations. Ro mm-hmm. and I listen to meditations in the middle mm-hmm. of the night while she's breastfeeding. Um, I take walks with her in nature. I work out almost every single day. Um, I sauna. I take baths. We ba- take baths together to like recenter our nervous system. So we are... I feel like our mental and health fitness levels are really high. Top of the game. Well, yeah, but you're, <laughs> that's good. I mean, you're putting, you know, and I get it. You're putting the focus there and it's so important. And I, I really resonate because, I mean, we're, you know, we're farther down the track with our, our second um, son. He's 17 months right now. But I just, uh, my wife's uh, birth with him was pretty traumatic. She essentially went through almost a full natural birth and then full on like emergency C-section. So it was kind of like a double situation and like, she's still, you know, in a way healing from that. And what I, I know, and it frustrates me as well, but it's definitely even more so her. And I'm sure you've gone through this, just knowing what you're passionate about in, in life in general. It was just, it's just the frustrations of trying to figure it all out. Because like, you know, I know obviously like there there are certain medical interventions in our current healthcare system that we're like, obviously we're all very thankful for. And I know, you know, you are for, you know, obviously what happened. Same thing with us. But then there's a whole other side that is like, if you're not asking the questions, you're like, well, what are you, like, what are you rubbing on their eyes here? Like, what, what are you doing here? What do you, and it's the same thing uh, that I find or what she's finding, like, post birth like it's like how like no one knows or you have to spend so much energy and effort to see okay well is this what i need to do like cuz it's just not there then you're you, and there's not as many options in the sense of like you know if you just go to your family doctor it's forget about it i mean mm-hmm. so like how have you navigated mentally i guess that balance of just you know, standing up obviously for what you believe and as a family as well and, and putting health first as much as you can, but also just like being in this like, in a way, broken system and not being so overwhelmed by like, fuck, like can, can someone just like, wh- do I have to be the doctor again today? Like, wh- mm-hmm. like why? Like, that's what I hear from my wife all the time. It's like, I'm not the doctor. If I wanted to, like, well, how do they not know these things? And, and I'm not... I don't want to generalize for everyone, of course, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of this going on out there. Yeah. Great question. <laughs> <laughs> Still figuring it out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know that there's an answer. That's the thing is, I mean, for me, I was screwed by Western medicine when I had chronic illness. I was misdiagnosed for 14 years 
And I had to quit playing volleyball when maybe that never needed to happen. I mean, that's really not okay. At 19, to be put on nine different medications by a rheumatologist, told you have a thing you don't have, and said, okay, well, just this is your life now. How do you go from being in the best shape of your life, the co-captain of a Final Four volleyball team, to literally you can't walk the next day? That doesn't make sense. Yeah. And being misdiagnosed because they just don't know how to test you properly. And then I found a functional medicine doctor and an Ayurvedic practitioner, and they knew exactly what was going on, did the testing, and I was healed in a year and a half. And so I have been a... a, I won't say a victim of the system. I've been a part of the system. I know what that experience looks like. And it's a huge reason why I wanted to have an unmedicated home birth. I was like, fuck all of you. You're idiots, you know, and it's just not fair. And you're living by books that were written 30 years ago that don't even make sense. Like why are women forced to do things like give birth on your back? Like (laughs) Dr. Gabor Mate, his new book, he says he was, um, I I don't know what he said, but he basically said like a midwife whipped his ass into shape because she said to him one day, you try giving a shit laying on your back and tell me how that goes. And then that's when he realized, why are women giving birth on their backs? Like, it doesn't make any sense, right? And so, but that's the system. And so I think for me, it's, I always do a ton of research and I do the best I can to ask better questions. And I also just don't go to people who are stuck in a medical system, um, the Western medical system. Mm -hmm. Now, the problem with that is... I usually pay out of pocket because they don't accept insurance. So then there's that conversation. Well, people can't afford to do that. So -hmm. that's the other part of the problem. And I mean, I have insurance. I spent probably 10 grand on our home birth experience that didn't even come to fruition. And now I've spent over 10 grand to have had her in the hospital. And that's that I have insurance. Yeah. How does that make sense? You know? And so even when... (laughs) We told a story on OK Babe when we were telling about our birth story because it's unbelievable. I went into the hospital and I said, look, I don't want an epidural. If I have to get an epidural, I want to make sure that there's no fentanyl in it. And I had been told and done research that you can get an epidural without fentanyl and to ask for it and advocate for yourself. So I did all the right things. I asked for this. <laughs> I get the epidural because I have to get the epidural. and. 10 hours in, someone comes in, the anesthesiologist, and she goes, "Um, Hi, I was told that you have some questions about the fentanyl. And I was like, uh, I was on drugs, so I have no idea what's going on. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. What fentanyl? She goes, The fentanyl that's in your epidural. And I was like, What? I start screaming at this poor woman. I'm like, What do you mean? I asked for no fucking fentanyl. And this woman looks scared shitless. She's looking at me and she goes, I don't understand. What's the problem? Why don't you want fentanyl? I'm like, Because I don't want the fucking fentanyl. And my husband comes over and he's like, I got this. So basically, (laughs) what happened is they put the fentanyl in the epidural and my husband saw it on the drip on the wall. And so asked for the anesthesiologist to come in to because he knew I was going to find out. Yeah. He wanted her to like calm me down and tell me before that didn't work. So <laughs> that being said, you can still advocate for yourself and ask for what you want and they can still screw it up. And yeah. I had to let go at that point and say, well, I needed the epidural. This is how I got it. And we're so far into this at this point. All that matters is that I'm safe and that the baby is safe and I have a healthy birth. And 
I think we have to sort of let go at some point because we yeah. can control and micromanage to the end of the earth, but like, then what? <laughs> so true. I think that's a really nice message is that like, again, like approach it as best as you can ask the questions, do the research, but to your point, like they're, you have to let go at some time, you know, at some period and, and for our own mental sanity and, uh, you know, and also for, in this case, for the baby as well, I mean, mm -hmm. stress levels and stuff like that. So yeah, yeah, valid. I mean, we, that obviously, I, mean, <laughs> I know you've covered this before, but that, that could be a whole episode on the show as well. So I will pause on that one <laughs> and, and I want to respect your time and just ask you a final wrap up question. And that's just like, what makes you smile each day? Oh, my daughter smiling makes me smile. My daughter crying makes me smile. <laughs> yeah. Everything she does, she could, you know, have infectious poop everywhere. And I'm like, wow, I'm so happy. Yeah. I just, I have such gratitude in my life and she's just everything I prayed for and more and being a mother is everything I ever imagined and more. And so, you know, Connor and I talk about this all the time. It's like, we could be having a horrible day or something be really wrong. And we just look at her and we're like, oh my God, we're so blessed. Like we're so lucky. And that just, it constantly makes me smile and it keeps me on track and it keeps me out of the muck and the gook and the stuff that doesn't matter. Beautifully said. And I'll <laughs> say it again, of course, thank you for, for making time in, in, during a time in your life that's very, very precious. I, mm. I respect and appreciate you coming on the show and even more so, like I said earlier, just you being you and going through the work and all of that and continuing to, you know, to be present with yourself and checking in so that you can help so many other people on the mm. other side. It's, it's beautiful. So thank you. Thank you, Mark. I always love chatting with you. You're the best. <laughs> 